I was a young adult and I was living in a subsidized apartment building as a newlywed in Kansas City, Missouri years ago. I uh, was living in a part of town that could be described more as the have-nots than the haves. It was a more racially divided neighborhood. And by day, I was working in a treatment center with kids in the foster care system. And living in an apartment that was subsidized allowed our budget <laughs> to uh, make it possible for my husband to go to graduate school, to study, to be in ministry, while I loved these kids with hard stories. And sometimes in the morning when the kids would arrive on their morning van, um, the youngest ones would come off of the van and reach for me and call me mama. I can close my eyes and still see their faces. And then in the evening I would uh, hand a home to my apartment and I can envision myself driving up this cascading hill with evergreen trees and brown shingled apartment building. And I would sometimes watch as kids in that community uh, played and uh, ran after each other in the stairwells and uh, pretended to be cops and robbers and um, had water fights. And sometimes I'd pray for them and I'd wonder about their stories because they too look like they could be some of the kids in my treatment center that I worked in. But one particular memory during that season of my life really stands out and it happened late one fall night. It was late enough that probably all the kids I've just mentioned were hopefully tucked into bed. And I heard a loud sound outside my bedroom window. I could hear a man hollering in panic. And I ran to the window and I opened the slats of the blinds just enough to where I could see. And I could see the silhouette of a man in the darkness with his arm stretched up calling for help. He sounded like he was in a lot of pain. And I wanted to help, but I was a young female in a community where um, it got rougher at night when it got dark. And I was weighing risks of what I could do, and, and I didn't know if the person that had harmed this man was still out there. And so my husband and I decided to call the police right away and to call uh, for an ambulance. And I could see the sky lit up with the lights from my neighbor's windows as well. We were trying to assess how serious the situation was, and the man continued to moan. And then a car pulled up, I'll never forget it, right near that wounded man, and another gentleman got out of that car, walked over to the wounded man, grabbed his arm, pulled it over his own shoulder, and painstakingly walked that man to the passenger side of the vehicle. And he opened the door, and he put him inside the car and he closed the door and he got inside on the driver's side and for the first moment since I heard the first holler, I took a breath because I was certain now he would get some help. And then before I could even process what I was seeing, the passenger side door opened up and the man who needed assistance to even get up and walk anywhere, jet out into the night as fast as he could. And I could only imagine that if he were able to run like that, when he was hurt like that, he must have been a victim of gang violence. And it was sheer fear that propelled him. I share this story not just to take the air out of the room, 
because we do feel it when we hear that someone is in harm's way. I share because today we're talking about loving our neighbor. And sometimes getting involved in the lives of our neighbors can be messy. Sometimes it's laced with liabilities and unknowns. And yet Jesus tells us that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We've been looking in this Living Love sermon series at what it means to love our neighbor. But first, we've been looking through what it means to love God with all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. And I'm going to have us move from Mark chapter 12, where we've been the last few weeks, to Luke chapter 10, when we study the gospel accounts of the life and teaching of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We sometimes have similar teaching. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus expands on this idea of loving neighbor as yourself in a special way. So it is in verse 25 through 27 that an expert of the law was questioning Jesus. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In this passage, Jesus turns the question back to the expert. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He knew the scriptures. And we've been looking and studying the scriptures too. We've been looking at what it means to love God with all our heart, with compassion, all our soul with wonder, all our mind with curiosity, and all our strength with energy, or as Pastor Jade said last week, all our muchness, our everything. And today we're going to turn to this second portion of this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Now we might ask, who is my neighbor? And what does that mean? And we're in good company. The expert of the law was asking the same question. Let's go back to Luke chapter 10, verse 28 through 30. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. He's answering the expert of the law with a parable, with a story that has a powerful lesson. And you might be familiar with this story, this good Samaritan story where we hear of three witnesses, three people who are witnesses to the wounded man's condition. In walks the priest. And the priest sees the condition of the man by the roadside and he walks on by. In walks the Levite. He sees the man on the roadside, 
left half dead, and he walks on by. Now, these are two people that the listeners of Jesus would have understood to have a pretty good sense of what was required of them by God. And then in walks the third person in this parable. It's a Samaritan. And the listeners would not have expected Jesus to make a man from Samaria the protagonist of this story. What good could come from someone in Samaria? But Jesus doesn't seem to mind having teaching coming from unexpected places. And so he explains that the man from Samaria is the one who has eyes to see the wounded man. He's the one who gives of his own time and resources. He's the one who bandages up the man and puts him on his own donkey and gets him to a place where he can recover and get well. And he gives of his own gold coins to make that possible. Jesus is challenging the listeners to ask this question, who is my neighbor, a little differently. And he turns to the expert of the law and he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You see, Jesus switched on its head this understanding of neighbor. The expert in the law was really interested in finding out where the boundary lines could be drawn. Because then he could figure out, when have I been a loving neighbor and when can I call it good enough? Who is it that I need to love like that? And when can I hang up my loving neighbor hat and be off the hook? And Jesus doesn't let him off the hook. And Jesus doesn't let you and me off the hook either. Jesus seems to be asking an entirely different question. Instead of saying, is that my neighbor? Is that my neighbor? He's saying, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, wherever you go, you are to ask this question. Am I becoming a neighbor to those around me? Do you see the difference? There's no boundary lines there. Wherever I go, with all I've got, am I becoming a neighbor to those around me? Soren Kierkegaard is a Danish philosopher who wrote about what it means to see others rightly, challenging us to look through a lens where every person is our neighbor. He says, there is in the whole world not a single person who can be recognized with such ease and certainty as one's neighbor. You can never confuse him with anyone else, for indeed, all people are your neighbor. That challenges us. That's a different way to have our daily interactions throughout our life. And Jesus is commanding his followers to love in a different way. Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 13, verse 34, to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. That's really clear. How are we to love? Love like Jesus. It's clear. Is it easy? 
No. I was thinking about the times when I have taught young children, and oftentimes, whether I was children's pastor or I was leading a community event or I was a teacher, I could be found breaking out into song, I know that doesn't surprise many of you, um, trying to get a following, getting kids who weren't cleaning yet or weren't treating their peers well. I might move their body as I tried to get a following and sing, do what I'm doing, follow, follow me. Do what I'm doing, follow, follow me. I was modeling for them, this is what I want your body to do. Do it like me. And I was trying to playfully sing to get a following. (laughs) And I think that throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he is looking at all of his followers, all those who encounter him, and he's saying, do what I'm doing. Do it different. Follow me, love like me. That's really clear. Is it easy? No. No, it's not. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says it this way, the new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate, and yet it is profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. I don't mean to surprise you, but God's people aren't always known for loving like Jesus. Have you noticed that? And yet Jesus commanded them to love like him anyway. That was true then and that's true now in our world today. Maybe it's comforting to know that Jesus wasn't surprised that those he was commanding to love like him weren't getting it right. As he was teaching that in the book of John, there was a disciple getting ready to betray him and a disciple getting ready to deny him. He knew that and he commanded it anyway. And I wanna look at each of you in the eyes and say, it's not a surprise to Christ that you struggle to love like him as well. He knows that and yet he commands it anyway. He knows that about me and yet he commands me to love a different way. You see, Jesus' love is different. I was praying over where we learn about his love in the scriptures. Jesus' love has eyes to see the outcast. He searches for the one in the 99. Our love doesn't always notice when somebody's missing. Jesus' love drinks at the well with the lonely and the unlovable. And our love can't always find the time to reach out to those who are thirsty or to even ask the question what people are really thirsty for. Jesus' love humbles himself and washes feet, offering forgiveness. And our love, it gets puffed up. We start to ask, is this gonna cost us, Lord? Like we're busy guarding the water bowl, like we need to protect God's resources. There might not be enough to go around. I might not be able to forgive you this time. Jesus' followers had a lot to learn about his love. And you and I have a lot to learn about his love too. So how do we do it? How do we love like Jesus if this isn't our natural way and yet God commands us to do it anyway? I want to suggest some 
practical ways that we can open our heart to God's love and to love like Jesus. You see, in 1 John 4, 11 through 12, we read these words, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The good news is that it is possible because Jesus isn't just the model saying, follow me, come on, I showed you how. Jesus is also the source. When we run out of the love he's calling from us, we can go straight back to the source and there's an endless supply. Lord God, I don't have the love to do this. Teach me how. And he can fill us with that love. So I'm gonna suggest to you three different ways we can pray. And we're gonna start with the prayer, but some actions are gonna flow from those prayers or that posture before God. The first suggestion is that you find time in your day to pray, Lord, open my eyes to see my neighbor, even if they're strangers. Open my eyes to see my neighbors, even if they're strangers. I recently read an article by a woman named Keo Stark. She's featured in a TED Talk and has written a counterintuitive book that goes against all our teaching to not talk to strangers. <laughs> she says uh, in her book, When Strangers Meet, How People You Don't Know Can Transform You. She says, when you talk to strangers, you're making a beautiful interruption in the expected narrative of your daily life and theirs. She says that there's all these moments when we don't take advantage of encounters with people that we bump up against in life. We don't experience it because we've already decided who we're gonna talk to and who we don't talk to. And she's daring us to do that different. She suggests that we do something she calls a healthy triangulation. If we have a triangle and the one point is you and the other point is the stranger or somebody passing by, then the third point in the triangle is something that you're using to strike up conversation, like a beautiful sunset that you and your neighbor are noticing at the same time, or something you see at a traffic light when you're both waiting there and just using it to start a conversation. Not because it's expected, but because it's possible. And she suggests that it has a positive impact. That instead of going into autopilot, where we do what she calls civil inattention, you know, when you ask questions like, how are you? And then by the time the person answers, you're like, gone. <laughs> she suggests instead of this civil inattention, we do something different. We make ourselves available, available for these moments of fleeting intimacy, where we have this resonance, this emotional connection with somebody that we've never even talked to before. I like that. I think that God can open our eyes to our encounters with strangers and he can use it for his good. That can be what neighborly love looks like in unexpected ways. But opening our eyes to our neighbors doesn't have to be fleeting like that. It could also be something on purpose, intentional, with anticipation. As an example of this, I was thinking about a text that I received from my twin sister just a few days ago. She didn't know I was gonna be sharing this message. And she texted me saying she just wanted to give God praise for something, something that she had been praying for and God had answered her prayers. You see, 
there was a pastor who had challenged my sister a while back to think of somebody outside of her everyday life that she could pray for that they would know the love of Christ. And for whatever reason, there was a single dad and his son that came to her mind from her neighborhood. She thought it was really far-fetched. She didn't think that he had any connection with church or faith, but the spirit had put it on her heart. So she decided to pray for that single dad and his son. And she didn't tell anybody she was doing it, but she prayed every day. And then I wanna tell you, she continued to pray, but she didn't do it with all this time on her hands. I should mention that my twin sister works for a Fortune 5 company. Now, a lot of times we talk about Fortune 500 companies, right? Those who are featured every year in Fortune magazine for having the highest revenue um, on any given year. Well, she works for a Fortune 5 company. That means she wakes up every day with a lot of pressure to perform. She works a lot and she's raising kids and has community commitments. She doesn't have a lot of time, but every time the Lord put that single dad and his son on her mind and heart, she prayed for him. And she wanted to text me to let me know that she had been praying for two years. And that dad, out of the blue, came up to her and her husband just a handful of days ago and said, can I go to church with you and your family sometime? Do you have a church that you go to? My son and I would like to come. And they sat together just days ago, listening to the life-giving promises of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. That's an example of saying, Lord, will you open my eyes to see my neighbors, even if you prompt me to pray in a way that seems far-fetched and impossible? I wonder what God would do if we prayed like that. So that's my first suggestion, opening our eyes to our neighbors, even if they're strangers, in fleeting moments of intimacy and in sustained intentional prayer. Another way that we can pray and act is to say, Lord, open my table to welcome my neighbors, even if they're newcomers. Open my table to my neighbors, even if they're newcomers. You know, my husband, Grant, was born here in Vancouver, and he has family members that have lived in the Lower Mainland all of his life. But his grandparents were actually refugees from southern Russia. They fled with other German Mennonites to Canada after the Russian Revolution. And when I asked my husband what neighborly love looks like to him, he said it always includes welcoming the stranger, the immigrant, the newcomer. And throughout our life and our ministry, whether we were here in Vancouver or living in Seattle or Kansas City or overseas in the Philippines, it's been our joy to open our table and learn from people who are new to the place we're living in. It's made our lives richer. And uh, when we were living in Idaho for just a few years where my boys go to university, I had the joy of welcoming some of their university friends who had never gone to a, a U.S. Thanksgiving before. As a dual citizen, I do like to joke that I think one Thanksgiving is good, but two Thanksgiving is better. So we have the joy of opening our table to people multiple times in the year. But this is just one example of when we might enjoy something, and instead of enjoying it ourselves, we might think, who can I share this with? So opening our table to our newcomers, our neighbors. 
But sometimes God calls us to take our table outside, outdoors. And so it doesn't have to be in our home. One of the things I have loved about moving to a new um, complex here in Vancouver is realizing that Mim Wicket, our refugee coordinator for 10th Global, is my neighbor. I don't mean that figuratively. I mean, literally, she's my neighbor. And I realized, Mim, we live next to each other. And that means that whenever she has uh, had a get-together with newcomers to Canada across the street at the park or at area uh, barbecues or picnics, it's been really natural for her to invite her neighbors, Ash and Grant. And so we've had the joy of hearing people's stories and asking them to teach us about the resiliency, the things they've faced and just a couple days ago, I had um, some of the men from um, that group, the newcomers, come to our home. And I was talking with one man who's only been here for four months, and we were talking about the challenges. But I asked him, what is the best thing you've experienced since you've come to Canada? And he said one word, kindness, kindness. And he mentioned a man who became like a neighbor, a friend who's just been helping him to get settled and talking with him about what he needs. And he said that in his home country, that kind of help would be something you'd expect to have from your families, your family networks. But to offer it to a stranger was remarkable to him. That kindness and generosity. And that kindness and generosity doesn't have to be a whole meal. You know, I think it's sometimes when we're just enjoying something ourselves and instead of keeping it here, we want to do this. I was experiencing that when I was baking chocolate chip cookies uh, a little while ago, new to my um, home. And I was thinking about my neighbors that I didn't know. And I was pulling out my chocolate chip cookies and I was thinking to myself, who am I going to share these with? And I thought about my neighbor just across the landing and we had barely even said hello. And so I knocked on her door and I had just thrown some hot out of the oven cookies on a cheap paper plate, <laughs> nothing fancy. And I knocked on her door and I said, hi, my name's Ash. I know you don't know me, but I really love to bake. And sometimes when I bake, I'm probably gonna knock on your door and I'm just gonna share it with you. And her mouth just dropped open. And she said to me, Chocolate chip cookies, hot out of the oven, is like a little bit of heaven at my door. And we laughed, and I explained to her, ugh, it doesn't matter where I live, whatever city or country, if I've got a neighbor, they've got chocolate chip cookies hot out of the oven. And I went back to my place, and I was thinking about it, and I thought, yeah, a little bit of heaven at her door. That's true. I think when we live like that, when we take something in our lives that we enjoy doing and we dare to mess up the schedule and break into somebody else's life in a way that's unexpected, and that doesn't mean they're family or close friends, it's like we're messing up the metrics and we're just sharing out of God's goodness with other people. I believe that brings the kingdom of God at somebody's door. And who gets to enjoy it? the one who's receiving and the one who's extending it. I get to experience that joy as well. And this brings me to another way that we can pray and share out of our lives. We can say, Lord, open my heart to my neighbors, remembering that I have been neighbored. 
Open my heart to my neighbors, remembering I too have been neighbored. And this brings me back to my opening story. When I told you about that man who was wounded and was calling for help, if I asked you, who was it in that story that was becoming a neighbor, who would you say? I need to back up a little bit. You see, when I was driving to that apartment and I had just met my husband earlier on and we had just started dating, my husband had chosen that apartment building because it was good for his budget as a graduate student. But as I drove up that cascading hill and saw the evergreen trees and the brown shingled apartments, I remembered being a kid living across the street from his apartment. I was one of the kids living and playing cops and robbers in the stairwells. I can remember being one of the kids there next to that crime scene. And I can remember the neighbors who began to pray for me and my family when we were struggling and going through a crisis. We were strangers. Our lives were messy. Those neighbors prayed for us anyway. They opened their eyes up to see us. And they opened up their table to us and they invited us to go to their church and we said no a lot. (laughs) But over time, it changed our lives. It changed our story. And I can close my eyes and remember what my neighbor's chimes sound like. And I can remember what it felt like to have the breeze blowing while I was just a little kid finger painting on my balcony. And I can remember how it felt to have the police and the social workers drive up while I had bruises on my face because I'd been mistreated by my stepdad. And my neighbors were praying for us. We ask, what does it mean, Lord, for me to love my neighbor as myself? What does it mean? I think it means loving your neighbor enough to let their story change your story. Because you know that your story was never just your story in the first place. It was always a part of God's story. That's how those neighbors loved us. And it changed our lives. When I consider what it means to love our neighbors even when it costs us, It means that the love of Jesus who has moved into our neighborhood, who has changed our story, calls us to love a different way. And we hear him saying, follow me. Love like I have loved you. And when I think about the people who were ushered into my story and my life, I can think of countless faces of people who prayed for me and mentored me and loved me and changed me. That's what it looks like when the kingdom of God is shared with neighbors. I was talking with Ken a little while ago and I was telling him that I don't think a room like this could hold all the people that have made a difference in my life. All of them loving me with a neighbor's love, opening their eyes to see, opening their tables, even bringing their tables outdoors, opening their hearts so that my story changed their story and was a part of God's story. Friends, I wonder who it is you would be challenged to pray for, to welcome into your life, to love in a way that might cost you, 
but it might look like Jesus too. As I prepare for this fall launch, I have to speak as a family life pastor here at 10th and tell you, I'm looking for some more people, some guys and some girls who are willing to show up for young people here at 10th. I'm looking for more people who will show up on Friday evenings for our Creo ministry. And there might even be a few of you who would decide to love and mentor and show up for young people, maybe even people who aren't here yet. Maybe neighbors we're going to invite to join us and pray for. Can I ask you to pray about that? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for teaching us about a neighbor love that opens our eyes even when we're looking at strangers and opens our tables even when it means inviting newcomers and breaks into people's stories like hot chocolate chip cookies that we weren't planning to share. Lord God, I pray that you would move us to be a people that would open our hearts and allow our neighbor's story to change our story. Help us to love more like you. Help me to love my neighbor. Lord, in your name, amen.